0: Hey, everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here with The Pure Now Show. This is episode number 21. My guest today is Dan Nguyen. Dan is a creative director, visual artist, and DJ. He's a Vietnamese American currently living in Los Angeles, connecting Western culture with Eastern culture. It's great to have him on the show. Here we go. Hey, Dan.
1: Hey, what's up, Mark?
0: All good, man. Thank you so much for coming back on The Pure Now Show. We've been trying to make this happen for a little bit. You're a busy guy out there doing the art thing in the world. And uh, uh, I'm glad that we got a chance to figure out a time when we could both get together and talk about this and that.
1: Thank you for having me again. I'm very excited.
0: The reason we say again is we actually recorded this show several months ago, but we had some technical difficulties. And, uh, and it was a great show, but the, mm-hmm. the audio was unusable. So now yes. it's all good. And we're in new places with new things to talk about along with the other stuff. So I'm, I'm kind of excited. First of all, are you still or back in California? Is that where you are?
1: Yeah, I'm in California now in uh, Los Angeles. So I don't think I'm going to go anywhere for um, a few months at least.
0: Okay. And have you left since the last time we spoke or have you been there the whole
1: time? Uh, I've been here the whole time. Yeah. I'm just kind of waiting for, you know, the COVID situation to kind of settle before I go anywhere like overseas, especially back to Vietnam, but that's first on my list, because I, I really miss Saigon.
0: And where were we with COVID when we spoke last? Because honestly, I don't even remember if it was on the radar or not.
1: You know what, maybe maybe it wasn't. Maybe, um, I don't know, because there's so many variants and different levels of it that keep dropping. So I, I kind of don't remember actually where where it was.
0: Okay, well, we know where it is. And fortunately, like, I know you want to come back here. And from a national travel standpoint, it's totally normal, dude. You need nothing, no paperwork, You just your ID and your e-ticket and you're zooming all around, no restrictions. Mm-hmm. I think you can come into the country pretty easily too now. You may have to take a test uh, and just come up with a negative. But then again, I think after that, you're free to roam Saigon or any other mm-hmm. part of uh, Vietnam at this point, so.
1: Yeah, it looks really relaxed over there right now. So it's, I'm in good spirits for it. I'm, I'm confident that it'll it'll open up, or, I it, mean that, you know, nothing will happen once I'm there, so.
0: Yeah, it's super chill. I think it's pretty much almost 100% back to normal. I mean, mm. granted, the people that were most deeply affected by this from a monetary standpoint, I'm sure are still struggling uh, mm-hmm. immensely, and and this is primarily a, a poverty line population. So uh, they, of course, always get hurt the most, and uh, yes. so that's all in rebuilding stages. You know, a lot of the factory workers and whatnot went back to their hometowns, afraid mm-hmm. to come back, not knowing whether they were going to get mm-hmm. stuck here again. You know, they were mm-hmm. here with their kids on the streets, no food and. It was uh, it was pretty catastrophic here for, you know, like six months during that lockdown. But Mm -hmm. I do feel the energy back. The streets are chaotic Mm. again. It's fun. The movie theaters are going all everything's open and and seems perfectly pre-pandemic normal. So uh, knock wood, knock wood. uh, (laughs) it, It remains that way, said Pinocchio. So. What's up with you right now? What do you what do you got going on?
1: Well, um, I just got back from the desert from Coachella, which is uh, the largest festival in the United States. It's an arts and music festival. It's been going on for, I think, like maybe 15, 17 years. But um, I was privileged enough to be on the lineup and had a great five days out in the desert and played a huge show, um, you know, thousands of people still, you know, reeling from the experience, still feeling surreal. So today's kind of my first day back into civilization, you know, because usually after uh, a big show or a big spiritual, emotional experience, I like to give myself a day or two to just kind of ground myself, decompress, process everything that happened to make sure I intake all the gems that I was exposed to during the experience. So it was, it was pretty amazing. So I'm, you know, uh, feeling very empowered by that. I met a lot of great artists, saw a lot of great music and art, very inspired. So yeah, So I'm per- that's the freshest thing on my mind right now.
0: I'm impressed that you can do that grounding in two days because two times at <laughs> Burning Man, it took me a week to take all that in and feel it and then return to Earth, as it were, uh, because that is an outer planetary experience, Mm -hmm. out of body, out of mind, out of control, amazing thing. And I know that Coachella is very similar in nature, but you were actually performing as a DJ, correct?
1: Yes, yes, I was. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, let's hear about that a little bit, because uh, I don't think a lot of our listening audience is familiar with this particular event, like Burning Man and Coachella. Burning Man's been around since the 80s, maybe? Or I think so, yeah.
1: Late 80s, yeah. early 90s? Late 80s, early 90s, yeah.
0: Started out on Baker Beach in San Francisco with like five people, and then now it's hundreds of thousands of people in the desert in Reno. Coachella also started as a smaller music festival, but now is this the largest music festival uh, in the world, I believe annually. So tell me what that experience was like for you.
1: This is actually my third time playing. Um, the first time was in 2015 in one of the smaller stages. And then the second time was 2019 on a, on a bigger stage. And uh, in 2019, I felt like uh, I was very grateful to be there and I was taking it in but I didn't get a chance to really decompress afterwards or before or during the festival cuz it's a 3-day festival with two weekends you know I was running around in the desert trying to catch different performances and things like that so I felt that time was it was amazing but this time you know I came I per- mentally prepared like a long time before going and then afterwards like i said i took some time to really absorb everything so i feel like this time even though it's my third time i felt like i was really able to benefit from all that that creativity and that energy and it was intense in a great way you know i felt i came in with open mind not expecting anything i prepared my my set like a month before you know i tried not to overthink it and then Uh, I got up there, I performed, I'm very happy with my set. Because sometimes even though I spend hours, weeks, months preparing for a set, sometimes it still doesn't feel right. And also the execution, the performance of it is a totally different aspect of the set. So all the preparation... You can, you can prepare and, you know, be like, this is the perfect performance, this is the perfect journey that I'm going to take people through. And then when you step on, on stage, the execution, the performance of it, you know, something might happen, you might be tired, you might not be mentally there, maybe equipment malfunction, anything can happen where it can affect the execution and it's two different sides of of the same coin so fortunately this time the, the execution and the preparation everything was on par with with my standards you know i really push myself every every performance every exhibit every job that i do i try to give it my utmost best you know I try to offer the best experience to people the best product and I'm constantly trying to elevate myself you know sometimes that's a curse because I might be too critical on my work but I like to think yeah whatever I try to balance it so this time it was great it was amazing I'm really happy with it other people of course were totally and that's another thing sometimes the audience they don't see what's going on in your head they they just experience it from their side and there's times where people were like yo that was amazing but for me it wasn't because some technical thing or you know it it didn't live up to what I imagined so you know playing music and DJing for like 15-20 years that's still something I'm figuring out for myself I'm still learning and I think you know that's a part of what makes me who I am so I've learned to accept my ultra critical brain my maybe impossible standard for myself but this time it was all like wow i was like wow okay that was that was wow like i'm i impressed myself you know because i try to i try to impress myself no matter what and i know that impressing myself first will come off as as i think as good to others because i the standard i set myself to is just it's really intense you know so I enjoy it and it also drives me. But sometimes I need to shut that part out because, you know, as artists, like we're our own worst critics. Right. So I try to like use that as as uh, momentum. But when I realize like that's holding me back, like I'm like, it's not good enough. You know, then I try to quell that because, you know, they say um, perfectionism is I forgot what the quote was, but it's basically saying if you're trying to be perfect, sometimes that messes you up. You know, you don't get progress out of that. So
0: you're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. Well, I think your 15,000 hours of investment plus into your craft is that support mechanism. So although this is super personal that you're doing, like everything will kick in. Yeah, there has to be a certain level of trust with yourself, too, that you have prepared, you've done the work, it's not your first time, and that certain extraneous things are going to happen, but if you're physically and emotionally prepared, you know, chances are you're going to put on a good show and you don't have to worry too much about it. Uh, and everybody's yeah, going to love what you do anyway because they have no clue. I mean, it's all fresh to them. It's a spontaneous experience. You've practiced, you've rehearsed, Uh, you've Mm -hmm. gone through the motions they don't know any of that they only know the end product just like with any of your art and you're a multidisciplinary artist and i'm interested to know where that's gone because i know you're you're big into the public art scene uh you've been featured on museum uh, the long beach arts council you're kind of everywhere you're vietnamese american trying to bridge some of that cultural divide too and leveraging that in communications for people who see your exhibits and your work and where are you in that world? Also with your commercial work, you know, what have you been doing? What have you been taking on? Because I know a lot of things can change in whatever the several months are since the last time I spoke to you.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. What's fresh on top of my mind is I just released, well, I didn't just release it. I released it in February, is a Vietnamese New Wave compilation, which unearths a lot of Vietnamese American music made by Vietnamese Americans and Vietnamese refugees in the 80s in the mid late 80s early 90s so I archived it's a music archival project so I've been working on it for the last 10-15 years just finding these old tracks going to you know Vietnamese record stores asking them like hey do you guys have any of these old CDs from the 80s still or tapes etc so it's been a passion project of mine for 10-15 years and I finally released it a few months ago and culturally and spiritually for me it was it was such a big deal because one the perfection thing I didn't release it for so many years. I was like, I can find more songs than I have now that can add to the release, or I was editing it, or remixing it, I'm like, it's not good enough, it's not good enough, this is such a big project, and it's so important for for me and for other Vietnamese, Vietnamese Americans. I really want it to be good. And you know, I was originally gonna drop it in 2014, 2013, and that perfectionist brain, that critique, like, held me back you know and then you know i talked to a lot of my friends and they're like bro you gotta drop this like so i've been playing the music out in my dj sets a lot so a lot of people have heard it in vietnam in america all over the world and some of them are um you know they, they they relate me to that music because that's the first time they heard it so i finally dropped that project and it was such a relief and you know i I dropped it for me, like, okay, let's put this out because I'm tired of critiquing myself and trying to be perfect. Um, But after its release, so many Vietnamese, Vietnamese Americans, Vietnamese Europeans, Australians, like I got so much support from it. They're like, wow, like a lot of the comments were like, we never heard of this music before. And the other comments that I got were we remember our parents playing this stuff our aunties and uncles and you know we heard like the cheesy versions but what you gave us is like the more like cool darker versions etc cetera, etc cetera. so the response was overwhelming and i was like whoa like i i guess we all resonate with this you know so a little bit about the music itself is um well the project is seven songs they're edits of the originals. so what the edit is it's kind of a remix but it holds a lot of the original integrity of the song so generally remixes change like the whole beat and they just keep the vocals from the original or you know there's new verses added things like that but in an edit the term edit comes from the dj world but edit it can be the same song, but maybe the drum breaks are extended or light extra stuff here and there, like it's garnished, you know, there's a little bit of flavor onto it. So I released seven edits and called it V-Wave, Vietnamese new wave. So they're songs that came from the mid eighties, early nineties, made in Orange County in Little Saigon in California. So Little Saigon, for those who don't know it, holds the second largest Vietnamese population in the world. The first being Vietnam. So, Little Saigon in the 80s in Orange County, after the Vietnamese American War, a lot of people immigrated all over the world. For some reason, a bunch of Vietnamese people ended up in Orange County. Some people say that because back then, a lot of the refugees were being sponsored over by Catholic churches, uh, by Vietnamese organizations like that. So a lot of people say that's there was a strong Catholic population. So that's why a lot of people ended up in Orange County. So Orange County, that time, it's the 80s. You know, there's big hair. Neon stuff, shoulder pads, synthesizers, Lamborghinis, like cocaine, you know, all the crazy stuff, right? Very flamboyant. So a lot of Vietnamese people came over and they didn't speak English, you know, they were, they were new immigrants to America. And there was the music at that time was like modern talking, aha, tears for fears, like all the good stuff of, of the eighties, right? Sandy Lopper. Yes. K-Rock. That's when K-Rock came out. So. V-Wave started because the Vietnamese people, they saw this music scene and they're like, yo, this is awesome. We love this music. So then they started forming bands to uh, perform these songs in the Vietnamese clubs and Vietnamese cafes. They translated the lyrics. Generally, they would sing an English verse and then a Vietnamese verse of the same song. So, you know, that started happening A lot of Vietnamese who were living here, you know, they joined forces. They started playing this music all the time, playing these bands. And then a community started because after playing live in the cafes and the venues, they were like, yo, let's record the stuff. So these things are covers?
0: These are all covers that you're talking about?
1: So they're mostly covers, Ah. but there's a lot of originals okay. and the cool thing is when they covered the song sometimes they would change things around so it became sort of like a pseudo cover so they sampled some... them,
0: over them so, yes
1: yeah. and then sometimes the originals were so obscure they're like european italo disco cha-cha-cha stuff right. that the vietnamese version became the quote unquote the original some people thought that hey this is like we've never heard it before so a community formed record labels came out videos distribution and a whole empire emerged so this is like you know 82 no sorry like 85 86 Vietnamese V-Wave, like, everywhere, you know, like, they started becoming local stars, like Linda Chang Dai, Cher Tu Tui, you know, and then Paris by Night, the iconic Vietnamese video singing record label show called Paris by Night, it was timed around the same time and Paris by Night blew up. So a new take on Vietnamese American media and music was born. You know, and then years later, this music came back to Vietnam because a lot of people in Vietnam didn't know about this music because when Vietnamese immigrants came to America, a lot of them came from the war, so they hated the original communist regime and stuff so they created their own flag, which is yellow with three red stripes, and then versus different than the Vietnamese flag, which is you know red with a yellow star. So a lot of the people in Orange County, a lot of the Vietnamese, Vietnamese Americans, Vietnamese immigrants, they were like, we're Vietnamese American. Like they wanted to get far away from, you know, the trauma and the craziness of the war. So they created their own music, their own flag. During that time, even up until like the late 90s, 2000s, if you had a Vietnamese star flag, like in your car or in your office in little Saigon in Orange County, people would be like, what are you doing? They would ostracize you. There's still a lot of anger and a lot of trauma nowadays versus like a lot of Vietnamese Americans who left during the seventies, they don't ever want to go back to Vietnam. Yeah. They're like, you know, F that place. Like we lost everything we had, you know, they just think about the trauma. So in the nineties there was the whole community there and you know, they weren't like, yeah, let's bring that music back here because there was that divide. You know, there was that kind of like us versus them mentality. Now it's a little bit broken down. You know, it's not as strong anymore. Now a lot of Vietnamese American music and culture goes there. And then Vietnam exchanges itself as well. So me growing up in like the late eighties, like my older uncles and cousins were playing this music and it's been ingrained in me. You know, they taught me a lot of different music, classic rock, disco, a little bit of country. V-wave. So going back to Vietnam and starting to DJ, I was like, yo, I want to play some Vietnamese music. Like, where's all the good Vietnamese club music? And there wasn't much being made at that time. During Vietnam, in Vietnam, there was a lot of um, ballads. There was a lot of pop music, tiny, tiny bit of hip hop. Um, There was like rock, but not like Vietnamese danceable electronic music. So One day I was like, oh crap, I have these tapes and these old CDs that my uncles gave me like in the 90s, late 80s. I'm going to digitize them. I'm going to beef them up. I'm going to add more bass. I'm going to make them sound modern and I'm going to play them in the clubs. So a lot of these recordings were really terrible recordings like on cassette, very distorted. So I spent so much time painstakingly One, searching for new records from the 80s and two, engineering them so they sound good. So I did that, I started playing them in Vietnam and people just lost their mind. They're like, what is this? This is amazing. This is like dancey house, like 80s type of like beats with Vietnamese lyrics and sometimes the Vietnamese lyrics were direct translations of the cover songs uh, of the originals so the subject matter varied so much from the Vietnamese music at that time because even now like a lot of Vietnamese music the subject matter is basically like love relationships you know just kind of like universal themes Whereas songs in the 80s, some of them were talking about like, why do we live in this world? Sure, like, Morrissey are...
0: and The Smiths and Duran Duran, exactly. there was a lot of pretty dark music coming out during that time.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. So here we have Vietnamese, they were like early 20s, covering these song lyrics, like talking about pretty deep stuff, you know? So when I was playing that in Vietnam, people were like, what? Like, no way like they they felt a sense of pride like finally we have some non lovey dubby music you know and for the audience over here some of us we grew up with that our parents were listening to it but they are listening to the commercial side of it you know whereas the, the tracks that I released you, they're darker they're a little bit more serious like they're like the b-sides you know very rare not a lot of people i've heard them so yeah so i archived it did a little bit of history lesson on it dropped it and the reception has been like wild so if people want to uh, read about it there's a couple of articles on the internet like on Saigon Year, which is you know a really big vietnamese website yeah. there's like a english and vietnamese version of it so i talk about it in there i expand on it a lot and a lot of cool little um, details so if You know, if our listeners want to dig in it, they can just Google Vinnie New Wave.
0: You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. How can we hear it, man? Because I am jonesing to hear this music because that's my time, dude, the 80s. I'm all about the 80s.
1: Dude, it's so good. So you can go, I have it for free, download and stream on Bandcamp. So if you go to vwave.bandcamp.com, com, You can download it or stream it there.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. That's great. Oh, I'm super looking forward to that. And sharing yeah, it with my so kids good. too, because my kids now, you know, they weren't around, but they have a total appreciation for Bowie. I mean, there was so much really good, good music in the 80s. And uh, it's pretty fascinating that there was this cross-pollination happening where they appropriated these things and then repurposed them in their own languages. mind blowing.
1: And it wasn't only the music, it was the fashion and the lifestyle. So you see Vietnamese from the eighties with like big hair, like Robert Smith style, you know, some uh, goth makeup. It's amazing seeing these like old photos, you know? And, and cause you know, I grew up around that. Like my aunts, my older cousins and aunts would like go out and they look like that they had their, you know black eyeliner and like some of them were punk and I was just like wow like you guys look intense I cannot wait to grow up and and be you be a, a freak also, yeah <laughs> be a freak yeah
0: well tell me about that let's talk about growing up and what influenced you because you've taken this very diversified artistic creative path you're not like a guy who does this or a guy who does this you've really kind of immersed yourself in just a creative life where you've expressed yourself in a variety of ways. What were some of your early influences that kind of informed you that you have this inside of you because it just continually pours out of you in one way or another?
1: It's something I try to observe and understand even to this day. Like I'm not sure where this creative drive, this urge comes from, but it's very, it's very natural to me every day i i you know like there's some there's something that that pushes me to create or to like all like i'll just sitting there i'm like wow i want to create an image or i have the sound that i want to get out for a song and i don't know where that comes from and there's times where there's times where i don't even listen to music for like a month but i still have all these ideas but as a kid I, i've been drawing since Ever since I could remember, so four or five years old, I've been drawing, and I would spend hours and hours on one drawing. And growing up, I would do that all the way till college, after college, just crafting whatever it was. And lately, I've been I looking back at that, and I'm like, why was I like that? And I think it was a, a it was very meditative, and. You know, I grew up in a big house, you know, like when my grandparents came over, you know, they all stayed in one house. So at times there was like 14, 15 people in a house when I was a little kid. And that's actually very common for a lot of first-generation immigrant families, whether you're Asian or uh, Latino or Southeast Asian, Sometimes there's like 50 to 20 people in the house. And I think looking back, like one of the reasons why I zoned into my craft was just that was my own time. I was in my own world. And growing up Vietnamese, especially back then, the parent child relationship is like, hey, I'm the parent. I know best, you just gotta listen to me. Nowadays, it's a lot different. Nowadays, my parents aren't like that anymore. They they value my opinion, you know? But back in the day, it's just like, you know, Americans too, like in the 40s and 50s, it's like- Father Knows Best, that's the name of the show, man. Exactly, right. Father Knows Best. Like, whatever I say, you gotta listen to me. If I say you're gonna grow to be a doctor, you gotta grow to be a doctor. And it works out for some people, for me, like, Growing up drawing and being the arts, it was my parents weren't really, you know, I don't think you can make money being an artist. To them, like, a stable job was the main thing. Like, we're in America. We left Vietnam to come here to give you a better future. You better be a fucking physician or engineer. And I've been struggling with that for so long after college too. Just, do I listen to my parents? Do I listen to myself? And then I was always trying to do both. So I think that, that struggle with them saying like, hey, you can do art on the side, but you need to do something else. And I would just want to create all the time. So I think that struggle, that friction, gave me this drive that I have now. Even till now, till this very day, I really feel really strong. Like if I if I want to do something, I can do it. You know, like if I want to create something or there's a goal, I, I believe in myself that I can do it with with a plan and discipline you know so yeah growing up like I've been I've been inspired by so many different scenes and communities and I thought it was normal but now that I'm looking back and seeing people that were around me I'm like wow I was very different like I would get along fine with the punk rockers and I would get along fine with like the skaters and the ravers and the hip-hop kids and the nerds and the jocks, you know? I was friends with everyone. So I think all those influences, different music style, different dress, different aesthetic, different art, I think they all kind of influenced me to how I am now. Whereas like, you know, sometimes I have, fr- I have friends who just hang out in one group, you know, and that's fine. But for me, like I get so like, Ugh, I gotta I gotta do something else, you know?
0: And that probably influences you too, is not pigeonholing yourself into a a singular crew, because you're gonna get influence from everybody. I mean, everybody's got value in that way. Everybody's got something to contribute. And so how did you take that, formalize it, and create a career out of it? Because again, a lot of diversity, You've, you've been in the more traditional advertising and marketing, You've gone into the public art arena, uh, so you've had some effect there. Tell me how you've gotten to these different places and and where they exist in your life now.
1: I think the core, the base of all these different expressions and industries is, you know, I mentioned earlier, is like the creative drive. like I feel I feel blessed to to have that, to have that that urge to express myself, to create something. I love just, making something you know so like I, I love the process of it's in my brain and then i bring it into this reality so in a creative exciting way to challenge myself and impress myself so with that kind of like mentality that drive i feel like whatever medium i'm in i just use that same drive and then it comes out so from drawing drawing since a kid then middle school came i started selling my drawings so i could buy clothes and like music equipment and then the different communities i was in creating art for that like hey our friends are throwing a party so I'm like oh i can make the flyer or like a friend's like hey i'm starting a clothing company and i'm like oh i can draw the designs and it just slowly led from one thing to another and at one point i was like okay i need to make like a full career out of this, you know? And for the longest time, I did not I was doing things for free. I was doing things for undervalued. I was doing murals and things for, for so cheap, you know, in high school and college, because for me, the creation was the main aspect because growing up, my parents and society was like, yo, you can't be an artist. There's no money, blah, blah, blah. So if someone asked me to do a mural, I'm like, dude, like, For me to be able to do mural yes totally like i'll do it for super cheap you know and i was like that for the longest time even nowadays i get value from other things than the monetary uh, than the price of it you know so it's a balance you know of course i'm not like i'm gonna do everything for cheap or i'm gonna do everything for my full price it's like you feel it in between so to me that's one of my my philosophies is how do i feel about this etc etc for agency stuff that's a that was a that's an interesting story because when i came back to vietnam in 2010 2011 and then i decided to live there i was like okay i want to do creative stuff what communities right now that i can get into that's creative and has an okay salary so You know, there was barely anyone doing street art. It was like me and maybe like one other guy. I couldn't convince, you know, someone who owns a like a drinking place like hey can i paint your wall for you know thousands of dollars they would be like what for you know so during my research i was like okay the film industry is exploding because in 2013 2014 vietnam doubled its number of feature films before that there was maybe like five feature films that came out but then there was this huge film movie explosion so i was like dude i'll try that and then i learned about vietnam's advertising industry and i was like wow it's blowing up too like when all the the big agencies came to vietnam in like the 90s there was like a huge spurt there was really creative tvcs there was like great scripts copywriting and then somewhere along the line it became very safe i think maybe there were more clients and then the agencies started listening to the clients more so they weren't really doing anything exciting. So I came in during that like little like lull, and I was like, okay, uh agency stuff, I could do this. I've done art direction, I've done a lot of marketing. Let's let's jump in. And the person that gave me my first break was Kit Ong, who I found out was a, uh, you know, a guest on on the show. Super cool guy. So yeah. yeah. So he gave me my first break as a junior art director in YNR and Young and Rubicam, even though I didn't have experience He saw my portfolio. He saw the different things that I was doing. He's like, okay, this guy's curated events. This guy's done marketing stuff. He's got murals, he's got clothes. He recognized the, the creative mind in me, you know? So starting an agency, I was like, okay, I have the creative powers. All I need to do is learn the language of agency, learn the expression, and then I can channel that channel my my creativity through that so that's how i started an agency and then you know for the first month i was like what the hell is going on here what is a pre-production meeting what is it like i was so confused you know but i had really good mentors kit really kicked my butt mentally all the time i would submit i would pitch something and he's like you can do better and i'm like what this i spent a week on this he's like "Oh." I just go back and try with harder, huh? And I'm like, <laughs> that okay, sounds just like then, him. <laughs> yeah, totally. And this man's won, you know, lions like international awards, like this was like everyone knows him in the advertising world, you know. So I was like, dude, okay, let's let's do this. So from then, I went to different agencies and, and blah blah blah, and here I am now. But one quote that sticks with me till this day that I still utilize from Kit is, he said. Awards are cool, accolades, high salary, recognition, that's all all great, but that's all on the side. Like what's in the middle, that that all stems from is great work. So that's what you need to focus on is amazing work. Like push yourself, ask yourself, is, is this my best work? Can I do better? And then from there will emerge all the other stuff. So if you focus on the other things, like, hey, I want an award. I want, you know, recognition. Like, you can still produce good stuff, but it's fleeting, you know? Like fame, all that stuff is fleeting. You can be super famous for a few months and then you could be unknown. Or you could be famous in one industry and in the next industry, no one will know you. So if you chase that, it's always going to elude you. Or if you chase money, you'll never have enough. You'll feel like, okay wow i got ten thousand dollars and you're like you know i can get more and then wow i have twenty i have a hundred thousand you know i could get more and it'll just be an endless chasing
0: your tail man
1: you're chasing your tail you're just going around in circles so you know even going back to what i was saying about preparing my set and critiquing myself like i still do that like when i think i created my best work i do this all the time if i think yo this this um, this artwork is amazing. I'll, I'll leave it alone for a few days and then I'll come back and I'll try to tear it down. I'll try to go in and tell myself what sucks about it. Even if I can't find anything, I'll make, I'll be like, you know what? This sucks. Like this part of it is too dark, blah, blah, blah. And that will make me craft it even more. But like, like we're saying, you got to balance that there's a point where I gotta be like, okay, that's great. You know, so when I'm like, okay, this is great, I'm done. That's when I know it's not done because I'm like, okay, are you really done? So taking a break from it for a few hours or a few days, I come back, I always see something else, you know? And sometimes I overdo it. Sometimes it it looks contrived, but most of the time I I feel like I'm, I'm more satisfied with it after I come back, after I, try to break it down you know
0: you're listening to the pure now show a creative podcast for creatives presented by balance well and you're also seeing it through fresh eyes i think what uh, people who are not in the business don't understand even the music businesses you're making it for you you're not making it for anybody else when i take photographs they're for me man When I make music, it's for me. I mean, I enjoy sharing the experience, but even when we do our 2D work here, yeah, we're being paid to do this for a client, but we're making this as if it's for us. It's gotta be good enough for us, not just good enough for the client. And that puts even more pressure to do that extra, go the extra mile, do the extra hard work, and make sure that we're really looking at everything. Like you said, take a break for a day, go back and go, oh, I didn't see that yesterday. I don't like that. We can do that. We can do this. So uh, I think from a creative standpoint, from, as a creative person, which I think everybody is, whether they figured it out or found it is another thing, which is the tragedy yeah. of humanity. But yes, but in fact, we do this for ourselves. It's nourishment. This is our food. Yes. it's Food for us. That's what, but, uh, and you are in it. <clears throat> up to your eyeballs all the time. Mm-hmm. And it is because it feeds you a certain way and other yeah. people get the benefit of that. And they also can get inspired mm. by that and do it for themselves. And I wanna go into that a little bit about your public art and how you've reached out to your community in California and you've you've had exhibits all over the world. And what is that like for you what are you doing with that now and how has that affected others because that is also even though you do that for yourself there's also some selflessness mixed with the selfishness in there that you want to present work you want others to see that you're just a dude doing it other dudes can do it you can do it dudes Mm -hmm. and dudettes you know (laughs) other people can make these things happen but you're an executor, you do it. What does that look like for you now? Where is your work being shown? And what is the response from that work? And how is that connecting you to your community?
1: Yeah, I'm still, you know, knee deep in mural and public work as ever. I, I feel like I don't, I won't ever really stop doing it. So um, yes, yeah, still continuing still smashing still pushing onward for public art the philosophy that i approach public art is you know it's for the public everyone will see it like even people who aren't looking for it even people who don't really like art or who you know they don't they might consider themselves like yeah we don't really care about art like it's cool like they'll still drive by the wall or walk by it so When I approach a wall, it's like how I approach design and agency work. I ask myself first, where will this live? Who will see it? What purpose will it serve? And from there, I combine that with my own intention, my own creativity, and then I create the product. So some people, as with playing music or whatever, they're like, hey, we're just going to play what we want to hear. And that's totally fine. For me, I like to incorporate the scenery and the listener, the observer into my work as well because for me, public art is, half of it is for me, the other half is, you know, for the public. I know it sounds obvious, but some people paint murals and they just paint what they want to see and it might not relate to the public or to the wall or it might be abstract. excuse me but for me like for instance like a first step like let's say if i'm approached to paint a mural in um you know a big wall in a neighborhood or in a restaurant or on the side of the building like i will spend most of my time studying that area first i will study like the community there what communities are there what they're into I will you know find out about other muralists in that area. I will learn about the, the history of the street art in that area. <clears throat> Especially for Los Angeles, there's a really rich mural history in um, Los Angeles. So you know, basically like it's an exchange of energy between myself and the area. I like to look at it as like a gift, like, hey, this is what I learned from you guys. I'm taking that energy, putting it through my way, my filter, and then I'm putting it on the wall. And I wasn't always like this. When I first started painting public art in the 90s, I was like, you know, 14, 15. It was just mostly about me, like, yo, I get to paint on the wall, and everyone's gonna see it, you know, I'm gonna do whatever I want. And that was great, I loved that. I had to do that to get to where I am now. So now, I still do that. I still do whatever I want. But now one of the things that I want is to bring enjoyment and positivity and pride to whoever's looking at the mural. But I won't change my idea. So I, I don't want people to be confused. I'm not looking around and being like, people like Pac-Man, so I'm going to paint Pac-Man. You know, it's not like that. I'm like, I come in with my intention first and I'm like, people like Pac-Man, maybe I'll put like a circular yellow shape somewhere in the thing that won't compromise my work, won't compromise my intention. And I love doing that because it's challenging for me. You know, like I'm like, oh, okay. Like you guys like Pac-Man, this is a black and white wall. How can I incorporate Pac-Man in there where I'm satisfied and the the community is satisfied too because i i really believe in a reciprocal exchange you know like i don't want to just be like like i don't feel right if i get on stage and i'm like here's all the weird music i listen to i don't care if you guys like it if you don't like it you can leave some djs and artists are like that which totally that's fine but for me like i want to like strip people out while they're in their comfort zone. I want people to feel like we have a connection, we're sharing an experience together, you know? And that dictates a lot of my work, my agency work, my creative director work. It works really well if you're pitching to, you know, Samsung, because I'm already used to In taking what they want, what people want, doing the research, and then filtering it through myself. So when I get feedback for my work from clients and stuff, I'm just like, oh, okay, I see your point. Some of my other CD friends are like, we hate you, you client. Why are you feeding back? Why you give us feedback? Just take our work. But me, I like the feedback. I'm like, oh, that's how you think? Because it's all psychology to me, you know, artwork music it's all it makes you feel something so when you feel something there's a lot of psychology and philosophy in that and it's just understanding human nature it's just it helps me understand myself helps me understand my clients people like you know so i love that whole like hey let's do it together i love that exchange you know don't get me wrong there's times where i get feedback and i'm like no that's ugly or like I'm not doing that, you know, but for the most part, I'd like to keep an open mind because I feel like I can always learn something when my mind's open. The client might point out something I've never seen before, you know, and I might use that in my next work. So for public art, it's the same philosophy that when I create anything that is seen by the public. Well,
0: that's inclusiveness. And that's what you want. I mean, this is not just your art it actually everybody's incorporated into your art in some way just even through appreciation. What you said earlier, which was interesting too, is while you were in Vietnam and approached coffee shops and whatnot about doing artwork on the wall, it was like, what are you talking about? And now you can barely find a coffee shop that does not have a ton of art inside on those walls, which I've got hundreds of photographs. I literally did kind of a whole thing just about the art in Vietnam, street art, the graffiti art, the coffee shop art. There is so much art here in Saigon. It's really incredible. It's one of my favorite things about being in the city. So for you to now see the shift, the change in appreciation for art here must be kind of wild for you. Although you haven't been back here for a while, I would imagine this place will just blow up your head when you come back.
1: Yeah, totally. I've seen the growth like since I started there, you know, and like fortunately been in the growth been in the community surrounded by other artists too and not only in art but in music in fashion all that in vietnam is just that's one of the reasons why i love vietnam so much is the energy the raw energy and momentum the growth is constant it's just ongoing like there's just things are changing so fast people are doing so much cool stuff compared to I mean, in LA, you know, it's a cultural Mecca. We have that too, but a lot of the communities here, are artists, our musicians, like we're kind of spoiled, you know, we've been getting really cool stuff. We've been exposed to, you know, really unique art and music since forever, since the sixties, you know? So sometimes we're a little spoiled. One really obvious kind of comparison is, you know, sometimes when DJ's here, they're playing here. It's kind of a running joke. It's like they'll be playing really good music, but the crowd, everyone's too cool in LA. So people are just like, Yeah, that's 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 cool. That's cool. Like, but in Vietnam, like when I DJ there, when my friends there, people are yelling, they're screaming, they're jumping up and down every single show, you know, and it's because they're getting some good stuff and they're like we fucking love this like let's go like life is short you know let's let's have a good time you know so it's reflected in all the work over there that i see like so many people are pushing boundaries and just recreating different things in a vietnamese style so yeah it's very it's very inspiring like you know i've been there 10 11 12 years Every day I'm so inspired when I walk outside, you know, I'm just like the chaos, like it, I love
0: it. It's my favorite video game riding a motorbike here, man. It is. (laughs) I got people coming from everywhere, pedestrians, bicycles, people coming at me, coming at the side of me, coming up behind me. Mm -hmm. And it's super Zen fun. The best video game on the planet is riding a motorbike in Saigon. I I literally, it's like one of my favorite (sighs) things to do at least twice a day man it's crazy good times yeah but like totally. you said yes. people know that life is short here it's not an overly educated population where they're stuck in a lot of over intellectualism they're operating from right here from a, of the standpoint of the family of a different kind of uh, life appreciation and uh and that's mm. why i do i absolutely adore it here and and I can't imagine myself anyplace else to be perfectly honest with you.
1: Yeah, it's endless inspiration.
0: You're a young guy, what are you, 30 what?
1: No, I'm 40, I just turned 40 last week. On what day, what was the? Uh, April 16th.
0: my girlfriend's birthday was April 17th, she turned 42, wow. No, 40, 40 (gasps) also, not 42, 40, yes.
1: Uh Oh, so she's year of the dog as well, like me.
0: There's a lot of people who are interested in being creative You know, the world operates a little differently now because of COVID. You know, there's a lot of remote things going on. People are not quite together as they were pre-pandemic. What kind of advice do you have for young people who want to be able to earn a living in the world of art, whether it's commercial, public? What kind of things do people need to consider nowadays? Or do you just be you and do your thing and just find places that can appreciate what you do.
1: It's kind of the general cliche advice, but it's pretty much if you really want it, then, you know, one is like, don't give up. There's gonna be mad setbacks all the time, and you're gonna to wanna to quit, but don't quit if you really want it. And two is practice your craft. Put in the thousands of hours. Ask yourself, do I even like this? Like if you can't get past hours and hours creating what you want to create, then yeah, do something else because you're gonna have to create your whole life. If you, you know, if you wanna pursue music or art, you gotta like have your your craft, you know? And another really important thing is it's cool to look at other people's journeys but it's not cool to compare yourself that messes up everyone's head everyone has their own journey everyone is unique if you want to be a musician an art director a graffiti artist do you of course you know you can get influenced by people but what i see a lot nowadays especially with social media it's really easy to compare yourself to other artists it happens to me too even though after all my accomplishes things like that on days where I'm like feeling like depressed or like uh like sometimes I'll be like oh man this artist got paid this much or has more followers or got this gig and you know I'll feel it and I'll be like that's cool and then I'll move on but sometimes it's really easy to get stuck into comparing yourself to other people's journey and that really is detrimental because everyone has their own journey and you're the art you the artist you're here on this earth to bring what you bring onto this earth you're here to do you you're here to give the world what only you can do so you know whatever it is you do do it with 100 percent. you know do it like you've never done it before do it until your fingers bleed you know and that doesn't mean don't compromise because sometimes in client agency world sometimes there's extra things around us in our environment that we have to compromise but don't view it as like oh no i love this color purple but i gotta change it pink that's not me the creativity the challenge exists in that as well i love purple but i gotta make it pink Okay, why don't I find a shade of pink that I love that is close to that purple? You can view it how you want. It's cliche, but it's all in how you view and approach things. Even now, I get stuck a lot. Sometimes I'm like, yo, I want to do this artwork. I want to create this project, but I don't have the money or I don't have the opportunity. Dude, create your own opportunity. There's millions of of things out there that you can do. If you feel stuck like, oh, no one's booking me to DJ. No one is hiring me in agency. You're not thinking hard enough. You're a creative. There's creative ways where you can do stuff. Like, okay, no one's asking me to DJ. Why don't I make a really cool mixtape and send it out to a million clubs? If I send it out to 30 clubs, one club's gonna book me to DJ. You have to have that type of overcoming attitude and i'm not saying you can't get stuck and sometimes you get stuck and sometimes there's not an easy answer but there is always an answer a lot of times it might be out of your comfort zone most of the time it's out of your comfort zone most of the time it's challenging but once you get out of your comfort zone once you challenge yourself the reward is gonna be immense
0: Dan, so awesome to see you again and, and chat it up with you. I'm glad we got an opportunity to do this, to, to get together. And uh, I hope you continue with one, your open mindedness and uh, your inclusiveness, and that you are showing others, especially younger people, just be, man. Just create, have fun, mm-hmm. and uh, do you. Just do you. Yes, do you. And and, uh, you're a shining example of that, and I really appreciate it, man.
1: Oh yeah, thank you, man. Cheers, man. All right, Mark, good to talk to you. Good to see you.
0: If you enjoyed The Pure Now Show, you can check out more episodes at balancestudio.tv or anywhere fine podcasts are broadcast. Pure Now is produced and engineered by Hai Ha Dang and directed by Dong Wun Guan. Thanks so much for watching.